It's Tim Albright with AV Nation with an AV Spotlight. Today we are talking to an old friend of mine. Uh, not he's old, but I've known him for a long time. Mr. Scott Tyner from Bates College. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks, Tim. And uh, I, I certainly feel as though I am old and I'm an old friend. So I will take both of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then we're both old because I'm actually, I think I'm older than you by a little bit. Okay. Um, we'll discuss so, that off there. We will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have known Scott. Actually, Scott, first time I met Scott, uh, I, back when I was a tech manager, he was the, the, the new chair of the Technology Managers Council uh, back when it was called Infocom, now Avixa. And incredible uh, leadership during during his tenure there. Uh, I was just getting into uh, into volunteerism and getting into that. And he, you know, he took a, uh, a young, dumb kid from St. Louis and, and under his wing. So I always appreciative of that. Um, Scott was also one of the first, uh, one of the original uh, folks that I had on when, when again, Tech Manager, we started doing the edu- uh, the EdTech podcast uh, when Aviation first started, uh, along with Matt Silverman and, and Greg Brown, uh, both of which no longer are in the education. Actually, you're the only one left of us that are, that are still Tech Manager. I'm not sure that, I, what that says about the rest of us. I am. I am. <laughs> um, but but talk about for a second about you know we we, we kind of do these there's a there's a formula to this but you are you know I, I've known you for a long time so this one might sound feel a little bit differently um, give people kind of a sense of where you were ten twelve fourteen years ago when you and I first started and like so title then and then title now and we're gonna talk about you know how you made that transition and what that looked like yeah so boy uh back when you and i uh first met i probably was three or four years into my job at bates uh my title at the time i believe was manager of classroom technologies and event support um i had i had come to bates from a a private high school where i was the director of it um and in retrospect uh had zero business being in the AV world. Um, and then uh, when I realized I had zero business being in the AV world, I decided I had to do something to make sure I had business being there and just started doing a lot of learning and uh, a lot of getting involved. That's why I got involved in Avixa uh, is to to learn, to meet people, to know things. Um, and so very, the job shifted over the years. Uh, I, for a while uh, with the classroom technology stuff, I did the digital media studios at Bates. So um, all of the audio and video editing and processing. Um, and then over the past six or seven years have uh, uh, turned into director of client services, where I also oversee the um, large parts of the IT department. So the help desk, the staff training, the purchasing, accounting, and licensing of software and hardware. Mm-hmm. Talk for a second about the, about that going from the, the director of IT for a high school um, into AV at a time when it, 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 the critical time, I would say in the industry where we were, we were already evolving into an, an IT, um, uh, an IT industry. Right. And, and uh, careful how I say this, because there are people who, who don't think that AV is IT. They don't think whatever that there are, if there's an RJ 45 on the back of your, most of your equipment that you're still part or, or at least tangential to the, to the IT industry. Right. And, and you came in as, that was happening. What made you go from, you know, again, head of IT for high school into this, this industry um, that was, again, at the time, not necessarily connected to IT, certainly now it is, 
but you 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 look very smart. Like you look you look like you're uh, almost like a, a fortune teller at that point because you, you you it looks like you saw this happening. Is that is that the case, or you just you saw an opportunity at Bates? Uh, I, I saw an opportunity to get to Bates. There, there's no doubt, right? I, I wanted to uh, be at Bates. I thought it was a great opportunity. But it also was very clear that it gave me an opportunity to be in the classroom and, and my education. I went to Boston University, the School of Education, to be a teacher. And so that's, I've always been in education. And that opportunity to really work back in the classroom um, was fascinating. And when, I, when we did the interview at Bates and I saw some of the classrooms, I, just, I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is crazy. You can do some really amazing stuff in these rooms. Um, but like you said, that was the day. That was back in the day when we we had to convince faculty to use the technology, right? Um, yeah. And there was lots of talk about how do you convince them to use it. Eighteen years later, it's um, how do you keep up with their use of it, and how do you keep up with replacing it? Uh, I also remember it was a time when nothing was online, and it's one of the very first things I did. You used to have to buy the uh, Ethernet cards to put into the racks, and I was buying them. I think like a thousand bucks a piece at the time. And I remember our rep saying, "What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this?" And I was like, "No way! These things have to get online. Think of the things I can do when they get online." So I, I think for me, it was, it was the real push was about being in classrooms, in education. But I think that that IT piece that I had, where I could see the value of getting these systems online uh, really benefited Bates and it, and it gave me an opportunity to learn and grow. Well, I, I will say that, that, so Scott was one of the first people that, that kind of drove, drove me. And, and at the time, the college I worked for to get into asset management and, and, and you were pulling some in one of the first people that I knew you were u- leveraging these asset management software packages and these have evolved and, and I'm not going to call it anybody's name because you guys all know who we're talking about here. Um, primarily, but but these are control systems and and you know that that have these, these back end systems now that obviously have evolved and, and and become these behemoths. But but fifteen years ago, you were one of the first people to actually pull uh, reports. You were able to. I remember you and I having a conversation. I don't remember if we recorded it or not. Was it you and I jammering? But but you know talking about keeping VCRs um, and dot cams in the classroom. And, and you were pulling reports saying, I can tell administration, I can tell faculty, look, you didn't push the stupid VCR button for two semesters. I'm taking it out. Talk about, you know, what, what kind of led you there? Was it simply, you know, w- w- and, and the, the, the drive to start pulling some of those reports and, and really kind of really re- returning an ROI or providing an ROI to your school by, by saying, by demonstrating, this is what they're using and this is what they aren't. Yeah. So as, as we both know, any, anything you plug into a system costs you money because you need an input yeah. to do it. And again, this was at a time where rooms I'm, I'm guessing were probably twice what they would cost today to install. And I knew we needed more of them and I wanted to get more of them out there and working. And so we did, we used that data about, do we need dedicated computers? Do we need laptop inputs? Do we need, as you said, VCRs? And as the equipment matured and became more digital, getting a VCR in there was even more difficult. So I'd absolutely pull these numbers. I'd pull numbers about usage as well to sell to the administration to say, look, we put this in a room and it's being used eight, nine, 10 hours a day. 
So clearly the faculty need it, clearly that they're using it. Um, and here are some things we can talk with faculty about. How do we pull out a VCR and put, at the time, it was a Blu-ray player in its place in order to uh, keep the money um, as low as we could to get in as many rooms as we could? Um, and of course, we also used data back then. I think people, well, people have more advanced systems. Back then, we'd use the data to tell us if projectors had been left on and to remind people to go turn off projectors. And of course, today, we, we automate that. If a projector's on at three in the morning and nobody's touched a button for an hour and a half, that projector turns itself off. Yeah, it, it, it certainly the, it has, has advanced in, in the last 10, 10 years or so. Um, talk about for a second about kind of, we, we mentioned and you already kind of went through um, the, the your different titles and, and responsibilities. But one of the things I want you to talk about is is the fact that in the last 10 years, you have actually gone back and gotten your your master's degree. Talk about that that journey and, and what the, the driving force was that for you and, and and what you know what that's able that let, led you to be able to do now at Bates. Well, I, I, this is one of those cases where people say this all the time, and I I truly mean it, and I'm, I think people truly mean it. I had an enormously supportive boss, an enormously supportive boss's boss, uh, and and family. So it was um, I th- 2014 when I started. I had been toying with the idea of getting a master's degree, particularly an MBA, for a long time. I thought it would really help me understand the financial issues that colleges and universities face. And, I, and I've always been interested in data, as we just talked about, and I really thought it would help me kind of understand how to use the data um, and set up modeling and the like. And so uh, I, I poked into it for a while, and this is how many things in my life happen. Um, it was July of 2014, and there was a webinar at the University of New Hampshire about the executive MBA program, and I went to do it. And they said, and we're starting in a few weeks, and we have scholarships for people who are in higher ed or nonprofit. And so I applied, and two weeks later I was accepted, and they gave me a 50% scholarship, and it just rolled. And I went home and said, um, hey, Jen, what do you think about this? Um, and of course, she was just all over it, and she said, go for it. And it it was a massive undertaking. We were, we were for two years, I was gone every Friday and Saturday uh, up to New Hampshire uh, to take classes in person. We did a residency in New Hampshire. We did a residency in New York City, and we did a residency in, in South Korea. Um, wow. So it was an amazing experience. I learned amazing things. Um, but without the, my, my administration at school uh, fully being like, go do this, go do it. And even if work suffers a little bit, you have to get this done. And then at home um, – which is a big thing. You're gone every other every other weekend, uh, and then for weeks at a time during the residencies, um, it just the support you had was amazing. Um, I I think it really has given me a, a completely different view than I had years ago, particularly on data, and really particularly on um, leadership and management and what what those things mean. No, that's absolutely incredible. And that that you know, watching you and in, in your journey is is inspiring to me as, as somebody who is still um, trying to, to finish that last mile on, on my own master's, not MBA. Don't, I, I am not smart enough to do an MBA. <laughs> but but <laughs> what, what watching it over the years uh, has been really, really cool. So I, 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 I've always admired you for that. No, um, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, you know, some of the the challenges. Um, uh, you, you've been at Bates for a number of years now, so let's let's focus on that one. 
What's something that that you would you would consider maybe a setback or a fail or whether it's a technology or it's a program or something that you were like, you know what, I if I had to do over again, maybe we, we shouldn't have done that or we should have done it a little differently. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, all of us have failed dozens and dozens and dozens of mm. times without a doubt. And you learn from every one of them. As I think back, uh, and I and I use this really as a lesson every day, I think about um, the things that I assumed I could do or that were easy to do that weren't. And so one, we started doing our own installs a long time ago. I think we were kind of were one of the first people to do that. And I, I could design a system, I could buy it, I could program it. And I thought installing it's easy, right? You grab a screwdriver, you put some things in the wall, you fish some cables. You're laughing, Tim, because you know I was an idiot. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is an extremely uh, unique skill that people have, and it's really hard to do. And we made some darn messes of some rooms. Uh, my team today will laugh. They'll call me, yeah, we ran into a Tyner install today <laughs> because it was, it was messy. It was ugly. Um, and so for me to look back and, and, and A, to value every piece of the chain and to realize that everybody in that chain uh, has real skills. The other example is um, I've never really considered myself a tech person. I really think of myself um, as a problem solver, uh, as somebody who can listen and really get what somebody needs out, out of a conversation. And I assume then, well, that means I can design user interfaces. No, I can't. I'm not creative in that way. Um, there are people that are way more creative than me in that way and can really um, take some of the information I get from our customers and create a really fantastic user interface. Um, so for me, it's just about really understanding my strengths, my abilities, and then finding the people that can complement those weaknesses and really building a team that is just uh, fully capable of doing everything that needs to get done. Um, but yeah, there, there are some rooms that uh, are still pretty ugly. I think we're through most of them now. <laughs> well, good. And, and I, I have, uh, I don't know if it was smart of me or not, but I've left the college that I used to work for, but I am certain that there are a couple that are still, uh, my legacy of those are still, you know, haunting them somewhere. I'm, I'm certain. Uh, There's a few Tim so installs over there, huh? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I apologize to Jay and, and Brian who, who still have to, you know, pick up after me on that. Um, what do you wish manufacturers knew about your position, about being a, a tech manager, uh, or maybe even what what you wish they knew about being faculty, being the actual honest to God end user of their mm -hmm. equipment? I think that um, the the first one is I, I I hope that manufacturers and integrators, and I think we've come a, just a, an enormous way with this understand and, and kind of respect the tech manager and know that we are representing our end users. And um, I don't mind them talking with our end users if they do it through us. But I, but I it, it's really tough when you hear an end user come in and they, they went to a conference, a faculty member went to a conference and got sold on some product that you know doesn't exist or doesn't work anywhere near the way that they were promised it exists. Um, so really understanding to work through us, it's actually the best way to keep your business going um, moving forward. But then the other one, and I don't know that anybody ever really gets this until you work in a school, um, is 
the value that every minute in a classroom has. And I know um, our friend Bill O'Donnell, I believe, has calculated it uh, to say every minute a classroom is down, we are losing X thousands of dollars. Um, and we're literally talking about minutes here. And so yeah. 20 minutes uh, into sometimes, well, move them to a new room. It, 20 minutes is, is an eternity. And so really ha having manufacturers and integrators understand there is no such thing as downtime in an educational environment. Um, and that, and we say that, and I think even people who are in the industry who might manage at a, um, a corporate environment, they don't really get that until you've been standing there with 50 kids and a faculty member looking at you and trying to tell them that you know, all they got to do is go move to another room. Well, yeah, because then here's the thing in, in corporate, you, you have one set of, of expectations and one set of people because, yeah, if, if you've got an open meeting room, okay, no big deal, right? Classrooms, you involve not only the professor but also the, the, the students, but also whoever it is and whatever that title is, the person responsible for scheduling those rooms, right? And you've got – there's a cascading effect there, I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah. So if you had a, a magic AV wand is what I'm calling this, what would you do? Well, this is completely different than um, other questions, and and it's it's I, I've thought about this uh, a lot, and it again, it's one of these things I think a lot of people say, but I I'm, I'm trying my best in, to to change this. Um, I, I, Magic gave you one. I would make the industry more diverse overnight. Um, you and I, good friends, long time. We're also white middle aged men, and there's just too many of us in this in this industry, or at least too many of us. Um, who people know about or who kind of are the experts or whatever that means in the industry. Um, that model's not good for any, any of our companies. That model's not good for the industry. And so really finding ways to highlight the tremendous success um, of any, anybody who's in a minority, whether it's BIPOC or, or female or, um, any, any, any of those communities is absolutely critical. Um, and again, a, a, another a friend of yours, I've met one time, um, Bradford, uh, yep. brilliant idea. And it's just one of these examples of you just need other people's ideas of I'm not presenting unless there's, um, diverse representation and it's amazingly powerful how that is. Um, I've done it twice and people are like, oh. Wow, I didn't even notice that. Uh, and, and just those little things. And, and I notice it. I'll notice it sometimes on a, on a thing that will come out about an event happening. And I'm like, oh, all middle-aged white men. Um, and so just, just putting the word out there, saying things about it. People bring enormously diverse ideas and thoughts and experiences. And uh, if, if we don't build to those, then um, we're not going to – our industry is not going to flourish. Absolutely. And there, there is 100% agree with, with uh, Bradford likes to say it's the Bradford rule. I, I don't think that he made it, uh, but we'll certainly give him credit for it. So absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I love it. Last last question here, and this is kind of just something funny. You said that you're not techie or you're not, you're not a technical guy. And we, we've, we've, you demonstrated that with, with the Tyner rooms. Um, but as you're running around Bates, uh, whether that's a backpack or a fanny pack or whatever it is that you carry around what is in 
that container? What do you always have with you uh, as you're, you're uh, leading, but also, you know, uh, managing these rooms? Yep. So I actually um, pulled out my backpack and looked at it. Uh, my laptop, clearly, uh, and I'm going to put these things together, my laptop, my iPad, my phone, because um, I think they're interchangeable. And so those are always, always, literally always with me. Even if I'm on vacation, my laptop is with me because you just you don't know what you're going to need to do. Uh, a, a book or a magazine. And so um, right now in my backpack, I have a book called uh, Made to Stick that I plan to uh, do some, try and read uh, over this long weekend, or at least get started in a hammock somewhere outside. Uh, and then uh, Harvard Business Review, I think is a fabulous magazine that's often in my backpack. And then uh, you, you set me up for this one saying, uh, as much as I use tech every day, uh, notepad and pen. I have a tendency to pull out a notepad and pen to do my brainstorming and my thinking and, and notes and I've tried to change that over the years and, and say, make it digital. But I just like that notepad and pen. I'm with you 100%. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I have a thing for pens. I, I think it's inherited because both my father and my grandfather uh, collected pens over the years. So that part I, I didn't have a choice in. But yeah, I, I've tried to, dude. And I've tried the iPad with different styluses and different apps, and they're great. I don't know if it's our if our I, the thing is I, I don't think our kids even I mean, my kids you know and, and uh, Scott's kids are slightly older than mine. I, I don't even think our kids are going that way yet. I don't know when that will happen, uh, or if it ever will. You know. Yeah, I just there's just something, and I'm with you. I've tried everything: the Surface, the iPad, um, OneNote, Evernote, just all of them, and and they're great. They're great tools. Yeah, boy, but just, just being able to write and and so literally, I leave it. My big struggle was always that I I never had the notepad when I needed it. I'd write some notes and some because I had like eight notepads. So I finally was like, I'm gonna get a nice notepad, a hardcover notepad, and I leave it in my bag all the time. Yep. Uh, COVID helped my with that. Sense that, that I I consider that bag my mobile office, and so again, yeah, I don't absolutely. I don't go anywhere without it. Yeah, I, I got turned on to Moleskins a number of years ago, M-O-L-E skins, uh, and I swear by them. It's, it is my day timer. Uh, it is also my notebook, right? So I, 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 and this is, I know nobody talks about, cares about this, but every day, uh, actually the weekends I split into one day, but every other day is, has got one page. It's got my to-do list and it's got all my notes from that day, right? And my thoughts from that day. So absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Mr. Scott Tyner uh, from Bates College. Uh, Scott also has written for Rave Pubs for a number of years, and he has a brand, relatively brand new uh, podcast called Dear Vendor. So uh, how do people connect with you? And also tell folks what Dear Vendor is about. Uh, connect with me on, on LinkedIn. You can connect with me on, on Twitter, at S. Tyner. Uh, Dear Vendor is... I... I um, I, and maybe in an odd place as, as a person who spends the money, I have a, and, and maybe I learned some of this through my MBA. I truly believe that the, the AV industry um, is an ecosystem that we all need to support. And in higher ed, we push further and further towards this idea of we should be a full in-house integrator, buy directly from manufacturers. And, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to argue that, but I think that we all need each other. And so this is my opportunity to talk with a technology manager and say, tell an integrator, tell a manufacturer, what do you need? If they provided you a service or a product that doesn't exist right now, what would it be? And so it, it's directed really towards the integrators and manufacturers because um, I think that we, we need to support um, the, the, the larger industry. And this is my hope to, to do that.
Yeah, it's, it's really great. You should check it out. So, um, so check that out at, at ravepubs.com. So thank you, sir. Um, for us, for Aviation, go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. We have a couple of weeklies, a bunch of monthlies, so check all that out and more at aviation.tv. 